course, there is lots of work going on in the country trying to prevent these things from happening again, even though it seems like it, we're powerless to watch them happen again and again. One of those who's been doing this kind of work is Ron Avi Astor. He holds the Marjorie Crump Chair Professorship in Social Welfare at UCLA's, UCLA's Luskin School of Public Affairs with a joint appointment uh, in the UCLA Graduate School of Education and Information Studies. He's also one of the authors of a plan titled A Call for Action to Prevent Gun Violence in the USA, written in response in some part to school shootings. And he joins me tonight. Uh, thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you for having me, Ben. I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, I mean, you work in this. You work in this field. You, you spend a lot of time looking at what's happening. Uh, when you see reports of another shooting, especially one as horrific as this one, where do you start? You know, I think emotionally, it's not just our country. It's it's the whole world. I'm getting calls from literally everywhere around the world of a sense of that we failed. That 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 the United States is, as you said earlier in your introduction uh, that we're unable to protect our children uh, and all the work and all the money and all the policies that we put forth on trying to get positive mental health uh, were for naught. Um, and that's it, actually the initial response that somebody who spends their life doing this has when you see that happen. Um, but I, I am hopeful still. I'm hopeful uh, because I think that there is a possibility. I don't know if it'll be in this shooting, uh, but it might be in future. And I don't know if it has to escalate in the United States for people to kind of have that aha realization. Uh, the data is very clear on what we need to do. Uh, the general public is very clear in terms of wanting to support uh, both sensible gun laws and mental health and supporting kids. I think it's the lack of will uh, at the uh, national, regional, and local political level, as, as the uh, legislator just spoke, uh, you know, what are we doing here uh, that's missing? And that's not going to happen unless there's a groundswell uh, at the local and regional level and, and having research supported back as well in terms of what works and what doesn't work. Uh, I think we could, you know, the hope in me feels that if we could get people outraged enough uh, to the point where they understand that these are children's lives, somehow there's a disconnect there in terms of people's freedom and their uh, wishes and willingness to hold uh, firearms and to fragment this issue into a thousand different issues, mental health or isolated people, rather than what we know we, we need to do, uh, that we'll see this over and over and over and over again. And I, I, I can't believe that that's going to go on forever. I believe that at a certain point, people in the United States are going to say enough is enough, but I don't know when that is. And so my response is similar to yours. And I think that we need to work on getting people to have the will to act. It felt like after Sandy Hook, enough was enough. It felt like the momentum was there. The anger was there. What's happened in the last 10 years since? If anything, during the pandemic, gun sales skyrocketed in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, from a research perspective, the school shootings uh, have done two interesting things. Uh, the amount of money uh, spent on mental health in schools in the United States is tremendous. It's in the billions and billions if you add up local, state, uh, federal uh, and programs, evidence-based programs to reduce violence in schools 
have also uh, increased along with professionals being trained. And uh, the irony of this all is when you look at California, for example, or other states, even Texas, um, and the data is true all across the United States, for victimization and violence like bullying, kicking, name-calling, um, those kinds of things, e- even bringing weapons onto school grounds or knives or guns or other kinds of things has dramatically dropped in the last 20 years. I mean, it's dropped 50, 75 percent, depending on the specific behavior. So in a weird way, at the local level, we have been very successful in reducing risk factors uh, for kids in the spaces that they're at when you look at all of the United States or California. But the irony, as I was saying in all this, is that the school shootings trump everything, and and for good reason. Uh, These mass school shootings, so we could have all the progress. We could have 75% reductions in weapon carrying and bringing weapons onto school grounds in California. One school shooting from a person who has a multiplicity of different issues, uh, mental health, access Mm -hmm. to weapons, obsessions, uh, believes in ideology, all those at one person could actually impact the whole world. So I I think we need a different frame of understanding and seeing this. Uh, My view of this right now, after all these years of doing it, is we have to start viewing it in the same way that we see a terrorist act to certain ways. It's not the same as a bullying act because the goal is really to terrorize the country or the world. And the second goal is to have that perpetrator's name live for perpetuity. Uh, just like many of the, or their cause, or their belief, or their idea. And the last piece is that they're also suicidal. Forget that. The vast majority of these shooters are suicidal and homicidal and want their name to live on. So that's a different approach. And I think if we start thinking about it that way, uh, we might have some more success. Speaking with Ron Aviaster this half hour, he holds the Marjorie Crump Chair Professorship in Social Welfare at the UCLA's Luskin School of Public Affairs. He's also a longtime student and expert on school violence. We're talking about the latest school shooting in the U.S., 18 children and three adults killed today in a small town called Uvalde, Texas. Governor Greg Abbott says the suspected shooter, an 18-year-old man, was also killed by police, by responding officers there. The Prime Minister today, Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, tweeting, my heart breaks for everyone affected by this horrific shooting in Texas today. I'm thinking of the parents, the families, the friends, the classmates, and the co-workers whose lives have been forever changed. Canadians are mourning with you and are here for you. Um, Professor Astor, you've talked about there is signs... It isn't all hopeless here. There are lots of smart people in the U.S. working on trying to find solutions to this, despite the fact there is such a preponderance of guns and gun control is a big problem. Uh, But there are some signs for optimism out there, despite how just profoundly depressing today is. I agree. Uh, And I'm hoping that, 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 you know, Congress will act. I'm hoping that legislators will act in this narrow window where people are mourning and um, sympathizing with the families right now, that this is our chance. Uh, After Parkland, they tried, as you said, after Sandy Hook, they tried. Uh, We'll know in two or three weeks whether we'll get any movement on those high levels. But I think there's a lot to do at the local and and regional level that could then lead to national change. And uh, that's what you mentioned before the break in terms of ideas of kind of a 
a state-by-state or a national-level public health strategy and treating, you know, school safety and particularly school shootings uh, and guns as a hazardous material. Uh, And that might be an easier way out for us to get a groundswell to start supporting uh, the measures that we know we need to do. What might that look like in practice? Well, I mean, number one, uh, one of the biggest findings we have in the research literature, uh, not only around shootings, but about severe and lethal events, is that uh, a lot of people know about it beforehand. So there, there is, you know, the students' knowledge in particular, and I'm, as, as this story un, 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 unfolds, we don't know, but my guess is that there are people in the community and in the high school that he attended before and earlier that have a long story uh, with the perpetrator and the student, and they may know, and generally perpetrators tell people beforehand, they write about it, uh, family members know about it. So, so this is not generally uh, a shock to people that are around the perpetrator. There's, there's signs early on, and that, that, that information needs to be unleashed in a way so that the public, students, teachers, family members understand that it's not just a mental health issue or it's not just a Second Amendment issue, that these signs put together having an arsenal uh, obsession with firearms, being on websites of the shooters all the time, being suicidal and sometimes speaking, hard, that these are the signs where they need to act, you know, and get help. And we need a system that's able to respond to that in a correct way, uh, because a massive number of kids and teachers generally know about these events uh, before they happen. And they worry about these individuals when they look at these things together. And we haven't yet done that. We've separated it out to either weapons or mental health or uh, those other kinds of in separate categories. Uh, I'd say uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out this shooter had an arsenal of weapons and that his family members knew about it and that he had issues with his high school. This has been the pattern uh, all along. Um, And that unique combination is something that schools and um, kids and other family members need to learn to recognize uh, so that you could use uh, those voices to help prevent. Uh, We spend a lot of time after a shooting trying to figure it out, but there's been very little effort in using a public health approach to prevent it. And number one is listening to the voices and know what to see and know what to hear uh, when, when people are concerned. I think the second biggest issue is to disentangle it from the Second Amendment issue. Uh, nobody thinks that that either kids, whether they be high school kids or junior high kids, or um, should be owning an AK-47. I don't think that any of our founders would have agreed with that. And uh, I think there could be reasonable education from a public health perspective on um, what you should do if you see people with these, uh, how you should help with these kind of uh, issues, uh, obsessions with firearms, uh, suicidal, homicidal, uh, and where you should go and how you should get help to save your friends' lives rather than snitching. Uh, and we haven't done that yet either. There's threat assessment techniques. One is a great one from the University of Virginia, but um, nothing in terms of really dealing with the masses on these kinds of issues uh, here. I, I think if we could avoid the Second Amendment arguments uh, and liberty and realize that 
nobody wants kids to have guns at schools, particularly at high schools and middle schools, then we can move for a joint strategy, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats to start doing some education in public health so that we don't uh, have a lot of straw men here. Ron Aviaster, thank you so much for your insight on this tonight. Much appreciated. All right. Thank you. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.